To the leader of David, a psalm. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me out from the desolate pit, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. Happy are those who make the Lord their trust. Do not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after false gods. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. Were I to proclaim and tell of them, they would be more than can be counted. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Here I am. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. See, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O oh Lord, I have not hidden your saving help within my heart. I have spoke of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the congregation. Do not, O oh Lord, withhold your mercy from me. Let your steadfast love and your faithfulness keep safe forever. Keep me safe forever. For evils have encompassed me without number. My iniquities have overtaken me until I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails me. Be pleased, O oh Lord, to deliver me. O oh Lord, make haste to help me. Let all those be put to shame and confusion who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who desire my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay. Oh my God. It's the word of the Lord. turn back to the original Hebrew, the word patiently is not in there. Uh, what it most accurately is translated to is I waited and I waited and I waited for the Lord, which is a lot more relatable. It's funny how with time we, we add in things like I patiently waited, you know, but really it's like I waited and I waited and I waited for the Lord. And in response to that, God leans in and listens. And then in verse 2, the writer describes this pit of despair. 
And our imaginations can fill in what circumstances may have been going on, what the writer may have been experiencing. Pain is one of those universal experiences. All of us at some point have felt stuck in a hole that we just could see no way out of. All of us have had the experience of suffering, perhaps sometimes it just feels suffocating. We know the pit. And from that pit, the writer says, God pulled me out and put my feet on steady ground. God put a new song in my mouth. And then for several verses, the psalmist goes on these like gushy love things about God. And I don't know if you've had the experience of being in love with maybe a person or some people feel really in love with a place like Thomas Merton felt about the Abbey of Gethsemane. I mean, it's just true love. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever been to a cookout and had their milkshakes, you know, but there's just this gushy love experience sometimes that you feel just really overwhelmed. And it usually pairs with wonder, right? There's this, this sense of like mystery about this amazing person or place or milkshake, you know, and you're just like, how is it possible? This is so good, right? Like on some level, okay, on some level we can relate to this, this feeling, thank you, hormones, right, of love, this like gushy, just like, this is so good. I just want to stay in this like forever. And this is kind of where the psalmist is. It's like, I was in a pit of despair. God pulled me out of the pit. And now all I can do is just sing of my love and praise for God. And it's beautiful and it's really over the top. Um, and we read it and we think, well, maybe this, this psalm is a love song. And then it goes on rather prophetically, actually, in verse 6. And it says, sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but you have given me an open ear. In some translations, it actually says, you've like dug me out ears. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. And then I said, here I am. On the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will. Oh, my God, your law is written on my heart. And this is not the only place in scripture or in the Old Testament where someone is speaking out prophetically against the sacrificial system, but it's a pretty radical move. If the animal sacrifice does not mirror an, an internal posture of self-sacrifice to God, then it holds no value. And if our inward posture is of a living sacrifice to God, as Paul would put it, then the animal sacrifice is not necessary. It's a radical move. It's a shift. And the song continues. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. See, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your saving help within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. And this is kind of like what it's like to be in love, right? If all of your friends are not sick of hearing about it, are you really in love? 
you know? We should pause here, and we should just acknowledge, you know, because he's, the, the writer's not going to let us not do it, okay? Like, we should pause, and we should acknowledge just how much love and proclamation is going on in this song. And we should also note that this relationship with God is so intimate. It's so vulnerable. And it's like this full-body experience. In 10 verses alone, we're talking about feet, mouth, ears, heart, lips. And God may have dug him out an ear, but he has not stopped talking long enough to hear anything, right? He's just gushing and gushing with love and praise for God. But then, after all of that, there's this, this shift that happens in verse 11. Do not, O Lord, withhold your mercy from me. Let your steadfast love and your faithfulness keep me safe forever. For evils have encompassed me without number. My iniquities have overtaken me until I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let all those be put to shame and confusion who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who desire my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me... I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. So maybe this psalm is a lament song. It's such a big shift that happens like right in the middle that a lot of scholars begin to question you know, maybe this was actually two different psalms, and then somewhere in time they got kind of glued together. But then after the scholars did their scholarly thing, the, the consensus is that no, that Psalm 40 is actually one cohesive song. It's quite a ride. We start in the pit, then there's great rejoicing, and then suddenly, evils have encompassed me, and my iniquities have overtaken me. Do you guys ever Google words? I used to not do this, okay? I used to, like, be that person that was in conversation, just kind of nod, like, yeah, I know what that means, and I would not. And a few times you get called out, and you just learn your lesson, and you get over it. I Google words all the time, because I just can't keep up with all the big words, right? So iniquities is one of those. I've heard it before. Um, I think I just kind of like made some assumptions. I have no working definition. So I decided to look it up. And as it turns out, iniquity means immoral or grossly unfair behavior. Okay, so, so to translate, the psalmist who just declared, I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is written within my heart. Four verses later, is saying, my immoral and grossly unfair behavior has overtaken me until I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head, and my heart fails me. 
And while there's a lot of movement in this psalm that's happening, we're trying to keep up with them, there's a lot of movement, but there's one thing that stays consistent through the entire psalm. And it is that this relationship between God and the psalmist is so intimate and it's so real. From the pit to the rock to the failing of the heart, this relationship is raw. I started reading the psalm kind of like a movement that like went kind of in a circle. So we start like in despair, and then we move to wonder, and then from there we move to transformation, and from there you move to trouble, and then despair, wonder, transformation. Okay, kind of like this circular movement. And in some ways I can see. <laughs> <laughs> Do I need to do it again? <laughs> in some ways, I can see how that circular movement is evident in our lives. Um, it's evident in the story of the people of God. And in some ways, I can see how it's evident even in the way our day goes. That every day, we start in darkness, and then we end in light. And then we return to darkness, and then we end in light. And in some ways, I can see it even in the way that we eat and we experience hunger. And then we're satisfied, and then we're hungry again. But then how could it be that in just one song, one very real, very raw, very vulnerable, honest song, that there can be both seeing and unseeing? that there can be both deliverance and enslavement, that there can be in one song rejoicing and pleading. In verse 11, the writer says, Do not, O Lord, withhold your mercy from me. And there is this beautiful thing about mercy that you may not know. The Hebrew word for mercy is raham. And when used in the Old Testament, it's a verb that usually refers to the compassion and affection that's given from a superior to an inferior. And it connotates this sort of, of gentleness. This particular verb, however, comes from a noun, which is different. It's unusual because typically, in Hebrew, nouns come from verbs. But in this case, the verb comes from a noun. And the parent noun to the verb mercy, also raham, means wound. Do not, O Lord, withhold your womb from me. Knee deep in the mire, of this desolate pit. I see no way out. I don't even remember how I got in. I've nearly resigned to this fate. This is just how it's going to be. One day consumed by fear, the next day forgetting things have ever been any better. When was my last deep, full breath? Has my body always carried this stiffness 
Who would ever lean down to hear my distress? After all, I stand but knee deep, while others surely are to their shoulders. But then, the mercy of God gently envelops me. A womb that removes my isolation and places me in a mother's care. I learn how to breathe again. I live daily by the sound of my mother's heartbeat. My small movements grow. There is new life. There is resurrection. Have you ever noticed cumulus clouds? Like really, really looked at them. The spoiler is if you've ever seen one of those videos where someone has filmed clouds and then sped it up real quick, and then you can really see it. But if you look closely at, at cumulus clouds, they're not just moving in one direction as the wind blows them, but they're, they're swelling and collapsing and shifting and growing. They're stretching. They're these like, there's this dynamic movement that's happening in the clouds. And yet at the same time, the current of the wind is blowing them with intention. Abraham Herschel said, awareness of the divine begins with wonder. Where is God? Where are you? What is moving? And I want to, I want to invite you all to join me in the wonder of these questions. Every Sunday as the church gathers, we celebrate the resurrection. And we together as the church do our work, we do our liturgy to remember the resurrection. And so as we, as we leave this place and we go, we the church go into our homes and into our spaces. Continue that work with this practice. Find a spot that is quiet and still. Find solitude. And posture yourself with a dugout ear and open hands. And ask these questions not to be answered, but only to ask, where is God? Where are you? What is moving? If you get the temptation to try to answer these questions, return to the question. And just notice what moves within you. Notice what comes to mind and just ask. All of the seeming contradictions or dichotomies that we experience in our faith invite us into this deeper and more real and more vulnerable relationship with God. It's, it's these dichotomies that we sit with and we wonder over that somehow we can experience knowing God and yet unknowing. 
we can experience at the same time rejoicing and grieving. We can experience gratitude and need, discomfort and contentment, changing and unchanging, despair and hope. Jason's going to come and, uh, and lead us in a tiny prayer that we sung earlier. And I think that it is a prayer that really well embodies this psalm. Maybe it's a love song. Maybe it's a lament song. Or maybe it's a prayer of the mercy of God.